Hello, and welcome to Beniah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is Chapter 7. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. 1 Samuel 22.2 After a week of traveling, slowed down by the women and child in their company, Beniah and Moriah, Mikhail, son of Kenan, and his wife, Netaniah, along with their two-year-old daughter, Azuba, Abiathar the priest, and Eleazar the guard, found David and his men in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. They heard there had been a falling out between King Saul and his son-in-law. It was no mere squabble or misunderstanding, for King Saul was now actively searching for David to kill him. He and many soldiers who had fought alongside him in the army of Israel had chosen to take a stand with David, even against the legitimate king. Some hinted that David would make a good king. He was well-loved and accomplished great exploits against many of their hostile neighbors, especially the Philistines to the west. While still on the perimeter of the mountains, out of nowhere, a man blocked their path, who they would later learn was Uriah the Hittite. He looked them up and down, and seemed to decide they were not a threat. He then asked Abiathar to state their business, out of deference to his age and position. After Abiathar told his story, Uriah turned to the soldiers. And you? Why are you here? Uriah asked Mikhail. Mikhail straightened up. I am Mikhail ben Kenan. My friends and I are mercenary soldiers who want to fight with David. We learned of the massacre in Nob from Abiathar and Saul's guard here, Eleazar, son of Zikri, he said, motioning to the other soldier, and we cannot imagine serving under such a wicked king. What massacre? Beniah was shocked to find they had not heard about it yet. We will tell David all about it, Eleazar said. And the women and the child, he asked, nodding to Moriah and Netaniah. As if in response, Azuba cried, but Netaniah shushed her quickly. They are our wives. I am Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, a priest of Kabzeel. My wife, Moriah, and Mikhail's wife, Netaniah, can help with daily life in the camp. I assume there are other women there? Beniah asked hopefully. There are, quite a few in fact. Children too. Uriah circled the three soldiers as if sizing them up. They kept their eyes forward, hoping they'd be accepted. They had nowhere else to go. As for the men who are joining David, Uriah continued, it seems they fall into one of three categories. They are either in distress, in debt, or discontented. He leaned into Beniah, seeming not in the least intimidated that Beniah was a head taller than he. Which one are you? Beniah straightened even more. I am determined. I will serve David with my life. One side of Uriah's mouth quirked up. Follow me. Next, they were brought before David. Beniah didn't have to be introduced to know he was in charge. David was the obvious leader. He had a ruddy but handsome appearance, with dark curly hair and a trim beard. His military bearing spoke for itself. Beniah couldn't believe he was finally meeting the hero of Israel. David had been on a pedestal in Beniah's imagination from his childhood. Uriah the Hittite whispered in David's ear. Then they were allowed to approach. Abiathar told his story first. David's anguish was apparent. He seemed especially upset to hear the name of Doeg the Edomite. 
I remember him from my time in the palace in Gibeah. I didn't trust him, even then. I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there in Nob at the time, same time that he would surely tell Saul, My actions have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. He sighed deeply, then said to Abiathar, Stay here with me, and don't be afraid. Saul, who seeks my life, will now seek yours as well, but you'll be safe with me. David then noticed the other men, who were clearly not priests. The women and babies stood nearby. Who are these? he asked Uriah. Uriah nodded to them to speak for themselves. The three soldiers stepped forward and stated their names, their fathers, and their hometowns. He looked to Uriah. What is your impression? he asked. I believe they are trustworthy and valiant, sire, he answered. Very well. I'll meet with the men individually later. Dismissed. Benaiah, Mikhail, and Eleazar were then accepted into David's fold of four hundred men and attached to the troop of soldiers who traveled with him while he was on the run from Saul. Azahel ran back to David's camp after surveying the large group approaching from the west. He was the fastest runner Benaiah had ever seen. My lord, Saul and his army are headed this way. It looks to be about three thousand men, he reported to David. If God is pleased, they will just pass by, David said. Benaiah assessed their situation. They were out on patrol in the wilderness of En Gedi, near its famous spring. Just David and a handful of his most trusted soldiers, three of them his own nephews, Joab, Azahel, and Abishai. They were near the rocks of the wild goats. The road that passed by them was near the sheepfolds. They were far enough away from their ever-expanding group of soldiers, women, children, and livestock, so Benaiah didn't fear for their safety. They were all sheltered back at the stronghold, a town on top of a giant natural tower with only one way up, well protected and provided for, while David's men kept watch for Saul's imminent return. He only left off his pursuit of David when the Philistines invaded the land. Benaiah supposed he should be impressed that in this case Saul put national security ahead of his personal vendetta against David. More and more mercenary soldiers were joining David every day. Many had lost respect for King Saul after the massacre of the priests at Nob. Benaiah definitely had. Whether it was madness or a vindictive spirit that drove him, many felt Saul was not ruling in righteousness. There were only a handful of them here now. Even if their whole company of soldiers was with David, they would number only 400 soldiers. What were they compared with Saul and 3,000 men intent on capturing or killing David and anyone aligned with him? Benaiah thought of Moriah and remembered the warmth of her body against him as he woke that morning. If Saul did capture David, would he also kill everyone associated with him out of spite for aiding him? Benaiah already knew the answer. Saul was unstable and vindictive. Other than one cave among the sheepfolds, the countryside had low hills of green grass for the sheep, as well as streams, but no natural hiding places. If we try to head back toward camp, they'll clearly see us and overtake us. I don't want to lead them back to our families. They're safe now. If Saul does capture us, then we will be the only ones to die, David decided. Benaiah was inclined to agree. As much as he would rather not die, today or any day, he would rather lose his own life, knowing his wife was safe. Let's take cover in the cave, David ordered. They quickly ducked into the mouth of the cave, their eyes adjusting to the half-light of the cave several minutes later. 
The musty smell was strong, but not intolerable. They dared not light a fire, as both the light and smell of smoke would give their position away. As they crept further into the darkness, they found that the cave was larger inside than it appeared from outside, and there were plenty of hiding places in the recesses of it. They had not been there long when the sound of a multitude could be heard approaching along the road. The soldiers marched while the king would be riding his royal donkey. They passed by too close for Benaiah's liking. Then Benaiah heard voices, faint at first, then louder. Here, let me help you, sire. Benaiah heard a huff of annoyance. He froze and looked at the other men in the half-darkness of the cave. They knew it too. King Saul himself was coming into the cave. Yahweh be praised. This was too good to be true. David had been on the run from Saul for far too long now. He could not win if he fought Saul's army with his own, but now Saul's great numerical advantage had been turned on its head. They now outnumbered him, at least in here, and Benaiah knew that with their rage against him, it would only take one of them to end the wicked king's life. Although they would undoubtedly lose their lives after they killed Saul, Benaiah considered it would be worth it to avenge the death of the priests and people of Nob and to free David from his tormentor. How like Yahweh to arrange this circumstance and deliver David's enemy right into his hand. Benaiah watched David's expression change from surprise to consternation. Perhaps he was considering whether to order one of them to do it or take care of the matter himself. Benaiah hoped David would just issue the order to him. He wouldn't hesitate to rid the earth of King Saul. I'll make sure it's safe first, my lord, Benaiah heard the voice of one of Saul's soldiers say. So there were at least two other soldiers nearby, as well as Saul, Benaiah concluded. Since David's men outnumbered them, they could dispatch them quickly. Benaiah's hand was already on the hilt of his sword, anticipating that the soldier would inspect the back of the cave. He listened as the soldier seemed to make only a cursory inspection of the main cavern in the cave, but did not venture into the areas where David and his men were hiding in the shadows. If he didn't know better than to be silent, Benaiah would have snorted with disdain at the soldier's lack of thoroughness. What kind of bodyguard was afraid of the dark? It's all clear, my lord, they heard the soldier falsely report on his way back out of the cave. Benaiah used this opportunity to speak his mind. Here's your opportunity to avenge yourself on your enemy. God clearly arranged the circumstances for you to do it, Benaiah whispered to David. The other men nodded their agreement, encouraging David forward. They rose to stand to standing silently, hands on swords, as they heard Saul enter the cave. David motioned for the rest of them to remain where they were as he crept into the outer room. So he had decided he would do it himself, Benaiah concluded. Benaiah had never seen the king in person, and here was his first encounter with him, with the king relieving himself. Benaiah listened as David crept near the king, waiting for the sounds of death he had become accustomed to, but they did not reach his ears. A few moments later, David returned. Saul exited the cave and began making his way back to his waiting army. When it was obvious they were safely out of Saul's hearing, his men exploded with their questions. Why did you let him go? Abishai hissed, his voice rising in pitch with exasperation. He was delivered up to you by the Lord to avenge the priests and people of Nob, exclaimed Azahel. You'll never have another opportunity like that, Benaiah added. You could have struck him down with one blow and the whole nation of Israel would have thanked you for ridding them of that man, Joab said with obvious disdain. 
David held up what seemed to be a small piece of fabric. Beniah strained his vision in the semi-darkness to confirm what he was seeing. What's that? Beniah asked. David's head and shoulders dropped. It's a corner of the king's robe. I cut it off without his knowledge. Beniah was incredulous. A piece of cloth? He got up that close to Saul? He had a chance to take the head of his enemy if he wanted, and all he did was take a piece of cloth? How was that vengeance for the people of Nob? How did that end their time on the run? How did that keep their families safe? I shouldn't have done it, David confessed. Benaiah looked from one man to the next over David's bowed head. He felt guilty about taking a scrap of fabric. What could a piece of cloth possibly do to a man's conscience? Even as he asked the question in his mind, his hand slipped to the rough fabric holding his club to his waist. A miz. Benaiah sighed. It's what the fabric represented. Taking a sword to the king's robe was as if he had taken the king's life. He could understand that. But then David should have ordered one of them to kill Saul instead, if he couldn't bring himself to do it. God forbid that I should do such a thing and strike down the king, since he is the Lord's anointed. One of us can do it for you, my lord. It's not too late, even now. We can make sure he won't trouble you any more. Please, let me go, Benaiah asked. No, I won't allow it, even on my orders. If the Lord wants my enemy to pursue me my whole life and even kill me, then so be it. But I won't touch the Lord's anointed. If the Lord wants to free me from Saul, he will deliver me another way. Benaiah thought it was obvious the Lord had just delivered Saul to him, but he held his tongue since he saw the other men weren't protesting anymore. As much as Benaiah disagreed with David's decision, he remembered his vow and was determined to obey as a good soldier. To obey is better than sacrifice, he reminded himself. Although it had ended the way Benaiah had hoped, at least they were alive and able to fight another day. David took another look at the triangle of Saul's royal robe in his hand, pressed his lips together in resolve, and strode with purpose out of the cave into the sunlight. Benaiah and the others gaped at each other, not sure what was happening at first. Why would David go out so soon? Saul and his army were still too close. They would surely see him. They scrambled out after him, squinting as their eyes adjusted to the bright afternoon sun. Would there yet be a battle? David strode boldly to the middle of the road as Saul was being helped onto his donkey. David called out to him, My lord, the king! Benaiah was incredulous. If it wasn't bad enough that David let him go, now he was surrendering without a fight? They would all be executed. Saul looked behind him as David bowed with his face to the earth. Benaiah saw the look of surprise and concern register on the faces of Saul's guards. He wondered how the king would deal with their incompetence. Benaiah observed David's other men. Joab was practically snorting with anger, his hand on his sword, awaiting the battle to the death that was sure to come. The others appeared equally resolved, though no doubt confused as to their leader's behavior. But David appealed to Saul, actually trying to reason with the mad king. Why do you believe those who say that I'm trying to harm you? You can see for yourself that the Lord delivered you to me in the cave. Someone even urged me to kill you, but I had pity on you and spared your life because you are the Lord's anointed. David lifted the triangle of cloth up to show Saul. And see the proof. I was close enough to you to cut off a corner of your robe. Saul turned to look down at his robe, picked up the hem and examined it. He looked up at David with wonder. 
since I only cut your robe and did not kill you, should prove to you that I mean no evil or treachery against you. David paused and then added, Yet in spite of this you hunt me to kill me. I'll let the Lord judge between us and avenge me on you if he desires, but I won't use my sword against you. Saul couldn't seem to stop gazing between the tattered robe in his hand and the corner of the robe in David's hand. David continued, The ancient proverbs say that the wicked acts are done by wicked people, but I won't do such a thing. Why do you pursue me? I'm nothing but a flea or a dead dog, no one of importance. I'll let the Lord judge between us and plead my case and deliver me from you. Is that really you, my son David? the king asked. Benaiah watched as Saul was overcome by emotion as he considered what almost happened and what David confessed. He held his torn robe in both hands and wept. Then he turned to David and confessed, You've proven yourself more righteous than I, because you've rewarded me with good when I've rewarded you with evil. You've demonstrated it today by not killing me when the Lord gave me into your hand. Saul shook his head in wonder. For what person finds their enemy and lets him get away? May God reward you for your mercy towards me this day. Benaiah was trying to make sense of what had just happened. The Lord delivered Saul, David's enemy, into his hands, but David showed mercy and didn't kill him or even allow his men to do it for him. He not only let his enemy escape, but went after him to surrender and confessed his crime of taking a corner of Saul's robe. Then he pleaded with Saul and told him the reason he didn't kill him was out of respect for his office, since he was anointed by the Lord. Unbelievable! Yet Saul had no regard for the office of the priests of Nob, who were also anointed by the Lord. He killed all eighty-five of them, along with everyone else in town, including the women and children. These were the people of Israel. Yet as his father had told him, Saul didn't carry out the order to destroy the wicked Amalekites, who were enemies of Israel. Saul was an evil king, and Benaiah couldn't understand David's reasoning in sparing Saul. Did David think that if he killed Saul, he'd be no better than him? Surprisingly, Saul seemed to soften towards David, at least for now. Now I have to admit what I feared all along, that you will surely be king after me, and that the kingdom of Israel will be stronger with your leadership. Benaiah couldn't believe what Saul was saying. Saul knew David would eventually be king. Is that why he pursued David all this time, out of jealousy? So promise me, please, by God, that you won't kill my descendants or destroy my reputation when you finally take the throne. Saul seemed to acknowledge that he knew David would not take the throne from him by illicit means, but neither did he seem willing to step down from it now. He was asking too much. Benaiah wondered how far David's mercy would go. It was one thing to spare the life of a reigning king, but if David ascended to the throne of Israel, it would be in the best interests of the security of his throne to remove all rivals. Yet David surprised him yet again. David nodded his assent. I swear by the Lord that I'll neither destroy your descendants nor your name when God finally grants me the throne of Israel. Saul sighed with relief and bowed his head in acknowledgement. Benaiah waited. What now? Would they embrace like old friends and go back to the palace for a meal together? Was their time on the run really over? Would he and Mariah settle into a real home, enjoying time together as a couple? 
Benaya had to admit he liked that idea, even though he'd grown accustomed to the life of a soldier. There was probably a reason why God told Moses that when a man takes a wife, he should not go to war for a year. What would it be like to know some semblance of a normal life? Benaiah watched David as he and Saul studied each other for a long moment, as if unsure what to do next. In spite of the remorse, the confessions, admissions and vows they had just shared, it seemed neither one seemed willing to change the current arrangement. They had a truce, but not real peace. Saul nodded once towards David, was helped onto his donkey by his servant, and headed back toward Gibeah. David turned his group back toward the stronghold, still clutching the corner of Saul's robe. Keep listening for chapter 8.